0: The Lightning Round podcast with your hosts Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go!
1: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Lightning Round podcast. I am Garrett Sisti, which is at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Jamie is at Lightning underscore Round, and today we got a lot to cover. We're going to go over some of these free agent moves that happened since last time we recorded. We also have to cover this linebacker class in the draft. So before we do, let's give a shout-out to a pair of donations this
0: week. So the first shout-out goes to Otto Silva, all the way from Brazil. He says, hey, guys, Boltz fan from Brazil here. If guys in the U.S. can't find good Chargers news options, you can imagine my struggle. It's great to have a solid option via your podcast. Thanks for the great work. Keep it up. P.S. Adderley and Pratt in the draft. Cheers.
1: I'm a fan of Adderley in the first round. That makes sense. Uh, next one is from Steve Bartle. He says, here you go, dudes. Garrett, enjoy the Lagunitas for me. Appreciate it, Steve. I've been a long time listener, and this is my first donation long overdue, but I want to say thank you. You guys have been extremely influential on my personal career as I've started to cover college football in the media and started to create my own podcasts. Your draft breakdowns are excellent, and your opinions are held high in regard. I do have a personal request. I would love to hear your opinions on Marquise Blair out of Utah. Uh, We will get to him eventually, but uh, we did not have time to watch Marquise this week. But Steve, man, that is so beyond sweet. We appreciate it. I can't believe that we have that kind of influence, but I'm glad that uh, we have touched you in some way, Steve, so thank you.
0: Yeah, Steve, thank you for the kind words. It's nice to know that we are— influencing people it's a little hard to believe like garrett said we you know started the show what four or five years ago just with six listeners so uh to have somebody say that we're having that kind of an impact on his life is pretty amazing so thank you steve for sharing that thank you for the donation we appreciate it and thank you for the continued support
1: yeah and good luck in your uh your endeavors covering college football All right, so let's go ahead and go over these free agent acquisitions that happened in the second week of free agency. We talked about some of the internal free agents they signed beforehand, and uh, let's go ahead and start with the big external free agent signing, and that's Thomas Davis, uh, the linebacker from the Panthers. They signed linebacker Thomas Davis to a two-year, $10.5 million deal. Uh, the deal like Telesco's specialty is heavily backloaded davis makes 3.25 million of his 10 and this season with 2 million of that as, as a signing bonus in year two it's a 7.25 million dollar cap hit leaving door open to cut davis in 2020 if they had to and it would cost them 2 million they'd save 5.25 million
0: yeah you know when, when they made the signing everybody kind of assumed it would be for depth maybe at the mic and the will spots but uh Davis said during his press conference when they introduced him that he expects to be on the field as the will, which is interesting given, you know, they've spent money on or they spent a draft pick on Kaiser White and they've they've got Adrian Phillips who we'll get to here in a minute and uh, even Jatavis Brown who's in the last year of his deal. So they're bringing in a, what, 35-year-old linebacker, a guy who people are saying can't stay healthy, but outside of a couple of ACL issues, I think early in his career, If I'm not mistaken, I think he's played 12 or more games in like eight or nine consecutive seasons, something like that. So he's been pretty durable. He's been very productive despite the age and the ACL injuries. He really hasn't seen that much of a drop-off in production. Uh, Played 12 games last year after getting suspended for uh, PED use and had, I think, almost 80 tackles in 12 games. So was right on pace to do what he normally does. He's a guy who Excels in coverage, will help cover ground and make stops in the running game. Uh, just a, a nice veteran presence some more leadership for a, a young defense, particularly at the second and third levels. So um, uh, an interesting signing, one that I kind of like. I think it's one that will probably work out, and hopefully they can figure out how to balance out those snaps with some of the younger guys and – and with Davis and Perriman.
1: Yeah, he talked about being penciling at will, and of course, that was Kaiser White's spot a year ago. Depending on how you look at it, we might see a move from Kaiser White. Maybe they move him to Mike, but wherever they move Kaiser, he seems to be the odd man out, if you will, because if you know, Denzel Perryman is penciled in as the Mike, and Thomas Davis is now penciled in at the Will. Either way, if they move Kaiser to Mike, he's going to have to fight with Perryman. If he plays Will, he's going to have to fight with uh, or at least compete with Thomas Davis in camp, and it's going to be interesting. I'm sure there's going to be a, a bit a mix of those linebackers, and it changes in dime, of course, but it's going to be interesting to see where Kaiser White fits in this whole thing. Signing Denzel Perryman, Thomas Davis, added Adrian Phillips, like you mentioned, Uh, You talk about a uh, Jatavis Brown also here for another year. It's interesting because it almost looks like the Chargers saw this upcoming draft class of linebackers and decided to pass. And at least maybe kick the can down the road a year or two. And I don't blame him for that one bit after watching this <laughs> linebacker class. So in that respect, it's good. And like you mentioned, he's going to be an ins- instant leader. That can't be replicated. It should help these younger guys like Kaiser White. He's so-so in coverage, a monster in the run game, even at this stage in his career. This is not a long-term option like we mentioned. He could be gone next year. But for the short term, you got a real... Good linebacker depth now with Perryman and Phillips and Kaiser White, uh, Davis, Brown. There's a lot of them. So uh, this was a kind of a spot that was a little bit open going into free agency. Now they've kind of got a lot of guys competing for a couple linebacker spots.
0: Yeah, it uh, kind of makes you wonder what the plan is with Kaiser White, like you mentioned. Uh, somebody who looked really good in limited action last season, obviously had the knee injury. Kind of wonder if maybe there might be some lingering issues with the knee. Maybe that precipitated this move. Or maybe they just want somebody to help teach him the will spot since it was a new position for him last year. You know, having somebody like Davis who's played it for as long as he has and basically the same system should benefit Kaiser. It'll give Kaiser a chance to learn the mic, hopefully learn the will. Um, And like you mentioned, with Perriman and Davis both being essentially on one-year contracts with an option for the second year, there could be a chance for him to step into one of those two roles as soon as next year. So a good chance for him to kind of ease his way back in, learn two positions and for them to figure out where he fits best.
1: And then the second outside free agent they signed was the quarterback Tyrod Taylor, formerly the Browns. He signed a two year, $11 million deal. And like Thomas Davis, it's backloaded with a team option in year one, it's 3.5 million with a $2.5 million signing bonus in year two. The Chargers have a potential out with Tyrod. If they pick his option up, it becomes a one-year, $6 million deal. Grabbing Tyrod Taylor is a bonus, in my opinion, because it calms my nerves for a lot of things. One, first off, he becomes the best backup Philip Rivers has ever had in his entire career. It took 16 years, but they finally got there. This also means the Chargers aren't going to be drafting a quarterback in 2019, which is the biggest takeaway from this whole (laughs) entire thing. Keep kicking that can like they're talking about with linebacker. Kick that can for a year or two. With quarterback, revisit it in 2020. Forget this whole entire draft. Punt it. Take it off your board. Leave it alone. Maybe a bonus, too, is that uh, Tom Tlesco can use Tyrod as some trade bait uh, next year for a team that's looking for a quarterback. Maybe Rivers, who knows, helps his progression, pushes his stock up a little bit. That'd be nice. But also, another added, added bonus... Is these receivers don't have to take ground balls in <laughs> training camp and, and the preseason. We don't get to see them fielding grounders from guys like Kellen Clemens and Zach Mettenberger and Mike Bercovici and all these guys who are throwing grounders and hospital balls. We get to see guys that a guy that is semi-accurate and we get to get a good grasp on what these wide receivers can do because there's going to be a pretty big battle at wide receiver three we'll talk about it in a little bit but that's also a very good thing
0: that is a very good thing and you didn't even mention the best part if they sign tyrod taylor for two years it means they're probably about ready to give up on cardell jones
1: <laughs> who cares <laughs> <laughs> he was gone already
0: now he's definitely gone
1: yeah, yeah, not in their <laughs> eyes, but in my mind, he was gone.
0: He was gone last year in our mind, but that didn't happen. Yeah. So, uh-huh. but now they're seeing it the same way, so that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, and then uh, they made a couple in-house moves. They of course signed uh, Adrian Phillips, the linebacker/slash safety. We obviously don't have any specifics on the deal yet. Uh, what we do know is it's a one-year deal, and uh, we had talked about it going into free agency. This was priority number one. Re-sign Adrian Phillips, who's so impressive last year. They got that done.
0: Yeah, thank goodness they got it done. It was getting kind of nerve-wracking there with him. Um it's just weird that he sat out for as long as he did that he only got the one-year deal. Uh kind of, you know, go- going back and looking at his history with the Chargers and how well he played last year and it just seems like teams had a hard time figuring out what to do with him. You know, is he strictly a special teams player? Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Is he a slot corner? Where do you put him? Where does he give you the best value? Can you fit him in your defense on a down to down basis? And it just seemed like, you know, most teams felt like there was really nowhere they could fit him on a down by down basis. He wasn't worth that long term deal. And it just seems like the Chargers got a really good deal out of this. They got their, you know, one of their top three defenders back on what will probably be a much cheaper deal than anybody thought, probably somewhere in that $5 million range they've been throwing around all off season to some of the guys they've re-signed and, and to Thomas Davis and um, you know, and he, he gets to bet on himself gets to say, look, this is, this is who I am. This is the player I am. I'll take a one year deal and I'll, I'll go make a big deal next year. So chargers get a bargain. He gets to bet on himself more than likely. We'll see him compete for free safe for the free safety role in camp. Hopefully along with, um, with uh, Jalen Watkins and uh, Rayshon Jenkins, So a three-man group there competing for that spot, and uh, I think everybody wins here.
1: Yeah, I had that same thought. You know, uh, the fit becomes the question now because, like we mentioned, uh, signing Thomas Davis, signing Denzel Perryman, you've got Kaiser Witt, you've got Jatavis Brown. If you add Adrian Phillips into that linebacker stable, you've got five guys fighting for two linebacker spots. Uh, Of course, again, things change in nickel, but... That's a crowded group at the moment, and maybe since it's not an ideal fit there at linebacker right now, adding another body with Thomas Davis, you know, maybe the team's thinking about thrusting him into that free safety competition, and that might not be a bad thing. You know, he's obviously better, closer line of scrimmage. We saw that last year and the year previous, but can't get much worse at free safety as it was last year, so uh, we'll see. Uh, They obviously threw him out there last year in camp, Uh, didn't quite work out, and they They never really had an answer for free safety all year, to be honest with you. But uh, they tried in in camp, and I'm sure we'll see it again uh, this year in camp.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd prefer to see him closer to the line of scrimmage, but you got to figure they will do what they can to find a spot for him on a regular basis, Uh, which could be as simple as just bringing him in on those dime packages to get Davis off the field or Perriman off the field. Yeah. That's really where he thrives anyway. So I think there are still ways to get him on the field, get plenty of snaps for him, especially with as much as they play dime. And like I said, hopefully a chance for him to prove that last year wasn't a fluke and build on it, and uh, maybe cement his role here with the Chargers for several years to come with another good year in 2019.
1: Yep. So next up is the defensive tackle Brandon Mebane. They re-signed Meebane to a two-year, 10.5 million dollar deal, and like the others, it's backloaded. First year, 4.3 million, and 3.25 of that is rolled up in a signing and roster bonus. Year two, they have the potential out, but if they elect to keep Meebane for 2020, it's worth $6.3 million. Another backloaded deal. I would have moved on from Mebane to be honest with you, but uh, I just don't think he brings a whole lot to this table. I think they could have upgraded at this spot in free agency. Most certainly will have to now in the draft with how they stand. I thought Meebane played fine a year ago. I think, you know, while the Chargers gave themselves a ripcord next off season, I'm not sure he's worth the price tag. The move is fine, you know, but uh, it's just not the route I would have gone. Hopefully, Mebane can continue to mentor these youngins in the interior, especially with a the guy they're going to have to draft early, hopefully. But, um, you know, uh, they have a big hole at defensive tackle. They had three guys uh, that were free agents, Darius Philon, Damian Square, Brandon Meebane. They brought back Brandon Meebane. Both of them are both free agents still, Square and Phylon. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But right now, uh, having Brandon Meebane, Justin Jones, and T.Y. McGill as your three defensive tackles on the roster right now is not a good sign.
0: Yeah, it's not very encouraging. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I I kind of went back and forth on this when we did the internal free agent show about whether or not to bring him back. I kind of figured they would bring Meebane back. Uh, I was kind of agreeing with you, though, that I – i didn't really see the need uh i feel like it's a move that doesn't really move the meter in either way uh it has the potential to move the meter in a negative way based on the fact that he's getting older he went through a lot last year i mean he played like you said he played fine last year he had his moments i thought he was better at the end of the year after he came back you know quote unquote fresh after dealing with his family issues he was better down the stretch um but I th- I thought Square and Phylon were much more deserving of contract extensions, given that they're both younger. They both do a lot of the dirty work. They did a lot of the heavy lifting last year. Phylon, in particular, much more productive, much more explosive, more disruptive. He's a guy who really has been their best interior lineman for the last two years. So the fact that he's still sitting out there is kind of a surprise to me. Hopefully, they figure out a way to get him back in back in-house, because it would be a real shame to let somebody that you drafted in the 6th round who developed the way that he did and played the way he did particularly in 2018 let him sneak out because you didn't manage your money right or you felt like you had to re-sign MeBane. Uh I know they value MeBane's leadership which you know we use that as a as a reason for signing Thomas Davis. When they signed Davis, I kind of figured that's how they're replacing MeBane's leadership. Yeah, same Now here. they bring Meebane, yeah. Now they be now they bring MeBane back. It kind of feels like I don't know. kind of feels like a personal, emotional decision more than a football decision or a business decision. Like they like him personally. They know he went through a lot. They want to take care of their guy. And I get all that. I just feel like it's kind of time to move on and start making better, more meaningful moves at that position. And we're just kind of stuck in neutral. So disappointing in that regard. Um, Hopefully, they will find somebody in the first two days, at least one person in the first two days at defensive tackle. Uh, We'll see how that shapes up.
1: All right. So then they get some more help along the front line, and they give defensive end Isaac Rochelle the qualifying offer, which will bring back Rochelle for another year. Uh, The price tag is $645,000. So easy, price-efficient move.
0: Yeah. uh, We talked about it during the – the show for the internal free agents. It made sense. It's more of a procedural move. It's inexpensive. There's no risk. He's a guy who earned it. Um, So kudos to him for getting that deal. Good move by the Chargers for bringing him back. You know, he's a guy who can kick inside on passing situations in those NASCAR packages. Had some success in that role in 2018 and uh, good to have him back. And like I said, really no risk. So a smart procedural move. Just maintain that control and see see how he continues to develop.
1: He was third on the team in sacks, had his best year to date. Uh, he has the versatility. He ran as a five-tech, but when you talked about flipping him inside uh, when they wanted some speed, it worked out. And this was kind of the – there were two moves that were just so easy when we're talking about internal free agents. It was tendering Trevor Williams and then giving Isaac Rochelle's qualifying offer. That was just easy money, uh, no risk, potential high reward. They did both moves, so uh, good on them. Then – The last move, which happened hours before we got on this podcast, the Chargers announced they re-signed wide receiver Jeremy Davis to a one-year deal. Uh, No specifics on that yet. Last year was $705,000, so it probably uh, is going to be another low-cost contract. I've got it stuck around, showed up on special teams last year, some wide receiver depth uh, with the departure of Tyrell Williams. They needed to add some wide receiver depth, so we're looking at a wide receiver three battle with Travis Benjamin, unfortunately, Dylan Cantrell, Artavis Scott, and now Jeremy Davis.
0: Yeah, so we'll see what happens with the wide receiver core. This was a move that kind of figured would happen. The coaches have been raving about him for the last couple offseasons. He's a guy who really stepped up as one of their primary core special teams players in 2018, especially down the stretch. He was very good on kick and punt coverage teams, so you figured they'd bring him back. Um, you know we've got people asking does that mean they're finally going to get rid of Travis Benjamin does that mean they're going to have a competition for the wide receiver three role uh, fingers crossed but I kind of doubt it Um I, th- I still think Benjamin sticks on the team unless one of these young guys really forces their hand I think you're probably looking at Cantrell and Davis and Scott competing for the last two roster spots at wide receiver possibly up to three but I doubt I doubt those guys really force Benjamin off the off the roster. The only guy who really might is maybe Artavis Scott, just because he's so good in the slot and they can move him around. But I just I have a hard time seeing the Chargers cutting Benjamin, even though they should, and he's not worth the money. I think they're going to want that veteran presence in the third wide receiver spot behind Keenan and Mike Williams.
1: Yeah, I think so too. So the last move was not a player, but uh, is the GM, Tom Telesco. They extended Tom Telesco. It was a multi-year deal. No specifics on that, but his contract was up at the end of this year. So they just took care of that
0: early. Yeah, they have a way of sneaking that through, don't they?
1: <laughs> Always. Every time. I, I was yeah, I was talking about that. It's like what what are they doing? Just announce that you re signed Tom Telesco. The team is good now. It's okay. Like you you don't have to hide it this time. It's not like maybe last time
0: it's not like you're extending him when he won't fire Mike McCoy.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's
0: they're actually winning now and they've got a coach in place and the roster's getting better. So I mean he's yeah, he's earned it. There's no reason to hide it. But they just Yeah for whatever reason it's like you know, cloak and dagger with them when they extend when they extend him. I, I don't know why, but Yeah. Uh, you know, he's had a couple good drafts in a row. He's doing a better job of finding value value guys in free agency as opposed to, you know, throwing big dollars at guys that don't produce. So I think, you know, I think he's earned it. Uh is he one of the best GMs in the league? I'm still not there yet, but I think he's climbing the ladder and he's definitely he definitely earned an extension based on the season they had last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's done more good than bad. The team looks like it's turned around. He's made some real slick moves on some guys in free agency that are still there now. Can't say enough about the way he builds up contracts. Uh, I think you know now that it is renewed, we got to see some kind of next step from Tom Telesco because how long will this coupon, God Tom Telesco, uh, get the job done? It's resulted in a wild card win, two wild card wins now under his tenure. So when does it? When do we see a jump from? Wild card team to actual Super Bowl contender. When can Tom Telesco turn this team around? And he's got a multi year deal, so he's got a couple of years to do it.
0: Yeah, and I think there's still um, a couple areas where you know his evaluation of players kind of falls short. With the big one being the offensive line. You know that was one of his primary focuses when they brought him in initially was they were going to improve the offensive line. And I mean, it's I guess it's better than it was when he got here, but that's not saying a whole lot. So. He's had a lot of busted picks in in the first three or four rounds with offensive linemen. Yep. He's had a couple of really bad free agent signings. Uh, he really needs to start figuring out how to get this offensive line fixed, and he needs to figure it out now, especially with Rivers getting older. He needs that protection.
1: Yep, and I absolutely hate the way he addresses defensive line, especially in the interior, and free safety. I will go on record yes. because that is yep. awful, and we're still seeing it continue because now— we're in the what are we? Is it the third week of free agency? Second week of free agency? Where are we at? Now? Second, second week of free agency, and I'm not entirely sure where the direction is overall because you know we saw a stack safety class, a, a defensive line class that was really good too, and instead of betting on some mid tier free agents because you know nobody's talking about them getting Malik Jackson or, you know, going out and getting Earl Thomas or Landon Collins. We were never in that camp. We've never been in that camp. But instead of, you know, betting on some of these lower mid-tier free agents— they elected to do the same thing they've done, you know, but worse. They had they brought back Brandon Meebane on the defensive line, left Darius Phelan and uh, Damian Square out there. We'll see how that goes, and it can change. But like I mentioned earlier, there's only three defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, on the roster right now. And that is not good at all. And not getting a safety, frankly, sucks because nobody's left. You know, nobody wanted these big guys, they were never in the cards, but this class was so stacked and had so many de- so much depth that it feels like such a missed opportunity to not grab a free safety, especially when you look at the contracts that Tayshon Gibson ended up getting, and I, I know I sound obsessed because I always talk about Gibson, but uh, he ended up being a steal, but I mean, even Haha Clinton Dix, I know he took a quote-unquote hometown discount, but... It was $3.5 million. Are you telling me this was a guy that was rumored to be in the $9 million range? You couldn't meet him somewhere in the middle and coax him away from Chicago? I bet he'd take a multi-year deal for twice the amount of money he took. I mean, it just it seemed like, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad... Velasco didn't compete with with the market early on because a lot lot of those mid-tier free agents, especially on the offensive line, got way too much money. In fact, I I suggested Jawan James. He was my fifth free agent. But I am not paying that man $12 million a year (laughs) like the Denver Broncos did. That's nutty. So I'm glad uh, he didn't do that. Um, I like some of the moves he did, kind of. But there isn't nothing's really moved the needle. And I don't know if the team has gotten better. Maybe at the linebacker spot. But what is different from 2018 is my question now.
0: Yeah, they're deeper at the linebacker spot. I guess it remains to be seen if they're better. They're de- they're definitely not better on the offensive line, obviously. Right. They're not better on the defensive line, obviously. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Trey Boston's still out there, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he's signed yet. Mm-mm. Now, he's a guy I would, I would keep an eye on. I just feel like there's a natural fit there, and I know things didn't end well last offseason, but – He's still sitting out there for the second off season in a row. Everybody else is signed and he's sitting out there. Seems like there might be an opportunity there as the dust starts to settle on free agency, but uh you know, the money that Tyron Matthew got is crazy. Uh you're looking at the money that Landon Collins got, that was insane. I mean, they went from the it seemed like the NFL went from trying to depress safety contracts the last two off seasons to just blowing them out of the water yeah. this off season. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh I just I don't get it. Uh, and then you look at the, you look at the deal that, uh, Earl Thomas got, um, after being hurt most of the year last year, just insane. So yeah, obviously they weren't going to spend at the top of the class, but, uh, it's hard to tell what the plan is other than obviously they don't like this linebacker class. That's pretty clear to me. Yeah, seems like they basically just said, maybe we'll get somebody, you know, day three that we can throw in there for depth, the camp body, see if he sticks, but we're not spending You know, huge draft capital on the linebacker class. Let's just create some depth, let our young guys develop and see what happens. Um, I think they're probably setting themselves up to take an offensive tackle in the first round. We talked about that on the last show. Uh, We haven't covered the offensive linemen yet, but I feel like, you know, with Jawan James signing, with Trent Brown signing, um, for way too (laughs) much, some of these guys get (laughs) way too much (laughs) with the contracts these guys are getting. I think tackles are starting to slide down the board in the draft. So I think there's going to be an opportunity to get a guy who might have been a mid-first-round pick a couple of weeks ago to have him fall to 28. So it seems like they're kind of managing that pretty well, and they'll probably wind up with an offensive tackle in the first round. Uh, but, I mean, they might have to take two tackles on both sides of the line in this year's class just to be in good shape for the next couple of years. Because, you know, you mentioned it, T.Y. McGill... Brandon Meebane. Justin Jones. Uh Justin Jones. That's not a very uh very exciting defensive line group. Especially for a team that prides itself on penetrating and being disruptive. That group is doesn't do much of either. So it's a little concerning. Um so you gotta figure they're probably looking at the defensive tackle class and thinking there's some value mm-hmm. there in the second and third rounds. Um but other than that, I mean they've got a lot of work to do for a team that said that they were focused on improving the running game or the run defense uh i mean i'm not sure you can say that they've really done that yet and we're like you said 2 weeks into into free agency so they better they better get on the horse and start filling some more holes uh maybe create some more cap space travis benjamin <clears throat> <laughs> mm. um so you
1: got a cold you're I got a oh, okay. Excuse oh, me. is that what that was yeah a little tickle yeah, in my okay. throat yeah
0: excuse me <laughs> uh <laughs> um but they they need to fill a couple more holes before they go into the draft, and I'm sure we'll probably see a couple of coupon signings once the dust settles after the draft. It seems like they'll you know they'll probably find a couple bargain guys, but difference makers, guys that move the needle, they don't have them yet.
1: No, the plan is definitely suspect right now, and you know I don't think you can. Grade the direction until after the draft, and and we'll see after that's all over. But uh, when you go into free agency with your biggest weaknesses being free safety, obviously, defensive tackle, offensive tackle, and you could say linebacker, I guess you could argue that they got better at linebacker, though all they did is they've had the same exact guys but added Thomas Davis. They brought back Perryman and expecting a different result this time. Uh, You know, add that kind of prove it type of bet on yourself deal they gave to Perryman. And then uh, defensive tackle, they lost Phylon and Square so far, seemingly. We don't know. but And, and just went back with me, So I would say they're worse. At offensive tackle, they did nothing, so they're the same. Free safety, they did nothing, so they're the same. So in your four biggest weaknesses, you haven't upgraded your team at all. And, you know, maybe your best signing, if Thomas Davis is your best signing, if Tyrod Taylor is next up, a guy who's not going to get many snaps – and not gonna affect your team at all. I don't I don't think you've done very well in free agency.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, people are excited about Tyrod. I guess it's good that they have a good backup, but he's probably not gonna see the field a whole lot. I mean, you're gonna have to kill Phillip to take him off the field. Oh yeah. So <laughs> um, you know, the idea that they might play him in on fourth downs or in the red zone, I guess it's possible, but you're gonna how are you gonna sell Phillip on taking him off the field and reducing his numbers and you know, taking the ball out of his hands on fourth down and in the red zone to get Tyrod on the field. I mean, that's going to be a tough sell for a guy who never comes off the field. So um, to have a guy like that be your second-best signing, uh, it's a little problematic two weeks in.
1: What about our uh, cohort over at Bolts from the Blue, Matthew Stanley, suggesting, hey, you know, uh, if he is that fourth-down quarterback on the sneaks, we won't have to watch Philip Rivers go out there and do that fake that nobody's buying on that fourth down again
0: i mean it's possible <laughs> but <laughs> i love that idea i love it i just do we think lynn and wizard hunt are going to do that i mean i they don't seem like they're all that interested in going for it on fourth down and again you're gonna have to drag philip off the field and pry the ball out of his cold dead hands so i, I yeah. don't know how that works
1: yeah i don't know either but they also handed the ball off to melvin ingram at the goal line last year so who knows who actually knows so let's Let's go ahead and get in this linebacker class. I don't want to do it, uh, but, and I know you don't either, uh, I don't. but we kind of have to. So let's go ahead and go over these linebackers. We've got five. We'll give a sleeper. We'll give our top five, and then we'll talk about direction into the draft. We discussed it a little bit, but uh, we'll get more into it. So let's go ahead and start. And the first one on this list is Devin White at LSU.
0: So White is a guy who plays every bit as fast as his 40 speed. Uh, He is just lightning fast and explosive coming downhill. Very physical, aggressive tackler and enforcer in the running game. Uh, He's strong enough to stack and shed at the second level. Uh, White has – he's a powerful wrap-up tackler. Elite speed both coming downhill and flowing sideline to sideline. Uh, white looks to me, he, even though he wasn't in coverage a lot, the reps that I saw looks like he can turn and run with tight ends, turn and run with running backs looks pretty comfortable in zone and man coverage. And, uh, looks like he possesses the length to match up with tight ends in the slot. And he's just a nightmare as a blitzer. Uh, when he starts coming through those a gaps, he is just a terror and he's looking to kill the quarterback. Um, on the negative side, I think he guesses a lot in the running game. He's, he was recruited as a running back, and he's relatively new to playing linebacker. And it looks to me like he's guessing. He he will over pursue the mesh point on on um, on RPO. He'll follow linemen, pulling linemen, and leave cutback lanes. He'll try to run around blockers at times and leave big cutback lanes. Uh, just a lot of guessing, a lot of missteps. Um, I think he's he, his pursuit angles can be a little over aggressive at times, and he has a little bit of a trouble. Uh, with sudden change of direction, which can lead to missed tackles. I think White will occasionally target ball carriers too high and he'll forfeit leverage and basically turn himself into an arm tackler by trying to tackle guys up around the chest and neck instead of, you know, kind of driving through their midsection. Uh, And I think White lacks a feel for second-level blockers and lacks bend and flexibility. Um, For me, I think White is a guy who is likely going to be viewed as a three-down Mike um, or a middle linebacker at the next level, but he might be best suited for a will role, uh, where he can just kind of flow sideline to sideline, pursue the ball and be less concerned with taking on blockers. Um, I think most of his shortcomings are experience based, um, more than a lack of ability or acumen. And, uh, I think he's a guy who is probably going to grow and be a very productive star type player at the next level with film study and proper NFL coaching. So what's your grade? I have a 91 grade on him.
1: All right. So, Devin White has unbelievable play speed on the field. He can cover anywhere between the boundaries, close better than any linebacker in this class. He is stupid strong and can take on and shed blockers moving downhill while shooting into the backfield in the run game. White is also a dangerous blitzer. He can get to the QB from his spot off the ball or get there off the edge. He's got the ideal linebacker frame, but with the agility of like a DB. When he's not his normal aggressive self, he can get caught with his eyes in the backfield. He could also use some work in zone coverage. He's much better in man, but diagnosing can be a tick too slow in coverage while in zone. All of Devin White's shortcomings, uh, like you mentioned, with his mental processing, I think are all fixable, uh, things he can learn with experience. Uh, I think once he gets comfortable in the NFL, he'll be a star. Devin White is ultra-aggressive linebacker. That is a true tone setter. When he hits the field, he's an athlete who can cover, get in the backfield, get after the quarterback. I've got a first-round grade on him, too. I'm two points higher. He has a 93 from me. All right. So the next one on this list is the other Devin, and it's Devin Bush from Michigan. And to say Devin Bush is an athlete would be an understatement. He scored in the 97th percentile in his athletic composite score. This kid can run and cover. He is fluid from sideline to sideline. He's also a missile in the run game. Watching Bush shoot a gap is a thing of beauty. Bush's mental processing is very impressive, rarely caught out of position, and plays with a seek-and-destroy type of mentality. He's also a big-time threat as a blitzer. Like White, I felt Bush was also peaking the backfield a little bit too often. It showed up against Ohio State, especially when he got beat twice in that game on wheel routes. His size is a concern for some because he's 5'11", 234. Because of that, some teams are probably going to want him to play Will. The reason I'm not really concerned with his size is because of how physical he is. He brings the contact every time he can get his hands on a ball carrier. With that said, his aggressiveness gets him in trouble a lot, and he's prone to missed tackles. But Devin Bush is a football player with high football IQ on the field, Crazy athletic, very physical. He can play all three linebacker spots, in my opinion. He'll need to clean up the tackling, of course, but he's going to be an asset in the middle of the field for some teams' defense. He's also got a first-round grade for me. He's got a 91.
0: I agree with most everything you said. Uh, I think White is explosive and twitchy as an athlete. He has a relentless motor in pursuit and never gives up on a play. White's effective flowing sideline to sideline and coming downhill. He has a really good feel for second-level blockers, and he's able to beat them to their spots and avoid sticking to them. White has really strong hands to keep, to keep himself uh, clean in traffic. He's more disciplined with his reads than Devin White is. He's very good in zone coverage. I think he's a good tackler, and he's a very effective blitzer with good bend off the edge. Uh, he basically folds in half coming around the edge, very loose hips, very flexible. Um, not there, I think there's not a whole lot to not like about him. Uh, you're kind of nitpicking, but, uh, I think he will over pursue pulling linemen at times. He'll Bennett. I think he needs to get a little stronger. He's a little bit on the small side. Uh, there are times when he can get big boy versus tight ends and one-on-one matchups and coverage, and he'll lose sight of seam routes while watching quarterbacks. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see a quarterback climb the pocket and he'll take a false step forward to mirror what the quarterback is doing. And he'll let his man sneak beh- sneak behind him. Uh, I think, because of the speed and athleticism and the range as a playmaker, I think he is a will. I think he could probably play Mike if you needed him to, but I think you really want him in that will spot where he can flow sideline to sideline and just chase the ball and make plays. Uh, I think he's probably going to be a Pro Bowler at the position. He has the instincts and explosiveness to be a terror as a sideline to sideline playmaker in the middle of the de- uh, in the middle of a defense, and I think he can play in the three four or the four three very scheme versatile. He is my highest graded linebacker. I have a 92 on him. It was real close with him and white, basically, uh, splitting hairs between the two of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've got them separated by two points. You got one point. So, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the third guy on this list. And it's the Alabama linebacker, Mac Wilson.
0: Uh, Wilson takes patient discipline routes to the ball carriers. Uh, he rarely misses a tackle. Does a very good job of locating the ball, sifting through traffic, and making tackles. He's strong enough uh, to stack and shed blockers. uh, Wilson has good feel for second-level blockers. He generally sees them coming and can manage them pretty well. Uh, Wilson has very good closing speed. He flashes the ability to to carry tight ends and running backs and some slot receivers in man coverage. He easily has the best ball skills of any linebacker in the class with six picks and seven pass breakups. In two years as a starter, I think some of the things that Wilson struggles with, I can't, I'm not sure if they're correctable or if he just doesn't process that well, but he's overly cerebral. And what I mean by that is you can see him thinking on the field quite a bit. Um, It seems like he's just slow to diagnose what's happening, slow to react. And it often results in him catching tackles three, four, five yards downfield instead of coming downhill and making, making a play near the line of scrimmage. Uh, Wilson is still learning when to slip blockers and when to engage. He'll he will frequently try to run around blockers and leave cut cutback lanes for running backs. Uh, Wilson doesn't play as fast as Bush and White, nowhere near as fast as Bush and White, and the production doesn't really match what is a pretty good physical skill set in my opinion. Uh, I think he's more of a tackler than a playmaker. Doesn't really play downhill and doesn't make enough tackles for loss. Uh, I think he's really unsure of himself as a blitzer. You can kind of see him trying to feel his way through gaps and kind of hunt for for ways to get to the quarterback. He's just never really cuts it loose and lets it go. And I think Wilson um, is over. Will be uh, at times he's over aggressive and he'll jump routes too early, leaving him vulnerable to, to getting beat deep. deep. Uh, I have an 82 on Wilson. Uh, I think he's got the physical skill set to be a three down Mike. But I'm a little concerned about the mental side. Uh, it's not a it's not a lack of experience issue like it is with Devin White. With him, it just doesn't seem like he's sure of himself or really gets what's going on in front of him. He needs a lot of development in terms of reading his keys and diagnosing plays and really triggering and coming downhill. Because right now he's just you see him flat-footed, kind of stuck in the mud, waiting for guys to come to him. A lot like what. Uh, um, Donald Butler used to do for the Chargers. Not that he's Donald Butler, but just a similar kind of reaction time at times.
1: Yeah, you know, I um, we're actually really, really close on him. And um, I felt the same thing. He felt kind of like, to me the way I was um, kind of thinking about it is he kind of felt like a machine. Like everything was scripted. He knew where he was supposed to go. But when things kind of went a little bit different, he didn't exactly know what to do when it went off script, you know? He's just always like, okay, I know I need to be to point A to point B. I got to cover this guy or that guy. But whenever anything went a little bit uh at a balance he just wasn't able to really he just yeah, freeze yeah he couldn't really uh, improvise as as well as especially these Devons. so um you know in coverage uh he looked pretty good has some pretty good ball skills uh physical tackler also not afraid to take on blocks he showed some very poor tackling angles he's a player who ge- who really goes for broke he will knife into the backfield trying to read running back but chooses the wrong gap will leave his lane open but And that's because he just loves the gamble. It's the same with his tackling. He's aggressive 100% of the time. Sometimes it pays off. Other times it just does not. Wilson showed a lot of ups and downs in games, but also didn't make that leap in 18 that I was really hoping for. Um, he, he does everything you ask for him in the run game and coverage. He lacks the consistency, in my opinion, of the Devons, both Devin White and Devin Bush. He shows shades of a playmaker that might need a year or two to step in as a starting contributor. But has a projection to be a pretty good inside linebacker. I have an 84 from him, so another, you know, low to mid second round pick from me. Uh the next guy is a guy I'd like to skip, but we're gonna have to do him anyway. It is Voshan Joseph out of Florida. A lot of guys are high on him. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, good. Okay. Well, I guess you echo my sentiments because I'm not high on him either. (laughs) Uh, He's a pretty good athlete, uh, has good straight line speed at least. He's a good blitzer. He is also at his best when he's asked to attack a gap. He's much better at the second level than attacking line of scrimmage because when he's taken on blocks, he gets swallowed up by offensive linemen. Joseph's mental processing is subpar. He is caught with his feet stationary too far often. This is your linebacker who collects stats. He's got 93 tackles, 9 tackles for a loss, 5 pass defenses past season, but he makes tackles, not plays, like our slogan here on the podcast. He has a role as a will if he can develop into one. He can't take on blocks as a Mike and would be an even worse fit as a strong side linebacker right near the line of scrimmage. He's a day three guy for me, man. Uh, he's the guy you bet on that you hope he can build on the, with the athleticism. He's got a 67, which is a high Fourth round grade for Vashon
0: Joseph. Yeah, I'll just go with your evaluation. (laughs) We're pretty much right on line there.
1: (laughs) Good, Um, good. You got him with a with a fourth round grade.
0: I have a sixty six. Yeah.
1: Oh my god! Wow. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) I didn't know you'd be that down like me. Yeah, he sucks. Uh, Good.
1: Okay, (laughs) let's move on then. Joe Giles hitting.
0: (laughs) I mean, you mentioned most. You mentioned pretty much everything. He's a good athlete. Flows sideline to sideline well. Uh, good closing speed because good straight line speed. He's a decent tackler. Um, he shows a pretty good knack for finding creases as a blitzer. Looks really good bending off the edge. And he can be effective in short zones and man coverage because he's a good athlete. Um, on the negative side, and there's a lot, uh, he is the least instinctive linebacker in this class. Uh, he basically has no idea what he's seeing or doing out there. He's just running around in circles. Lots of false steps, uh, lots of indecision, lots of guessing, um, and it's all bad. Uh, Doesn't trust what he's seeing. Leads to a lot of latent and consistent reads. Very shallow pursuit angles allow ball carriers to beat him to the edge despite his speed. uh, Very slow, segmented, intermediate, and deep zone drops. Uh, At times, it looks like he's walking in his backpedal, just like completely disengaged and unsure of what he's doing. Uh, Very easily fooled by misdirection. Um, If a lineman turns his head and sneezes, he'll move that in that direction. He's terrible. Um, (laughs) Poor feel for second-level blockers. Way too reliant on running around blockers. Lacks functional strength. Like I said, he sucks. I have a 66 on him. um, Mid-fourth-round grade, which feels really generous after reading my analysis. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think he's probably going to have to start as a special teamer. Uh, maybe a potential dime linebacker because of his athleticism and coverage, Um, has the athleticism and the range to be a three-down will, but he needs to add bulk, and he's got to get a heck of a lot smarter and just continue to refine the mental side of his game.
1: All right, let's finish up this class. It's the last one before our sleeper, and it's Joe
0: Giles Harris from Duke. Uh, I like Joe Giles Harris. Um, Joe Giles Harris is a guy who in my opinion, is just the the epitome of a downhill thumper. Uh, he's at his best when he can come downhill between the hash marks and he attacks and owns the line of scrimmage, does a nice job of using his hands, strength, and length to ward off blockers and make plays around the line of scrimmage. Giles Harris is, sticky, is a, t- a sticky, technically sound blocker who generally finishes when he squares someone up. He understands route concepts. He's able to carry tight ends and running backs in man coverage. He adjusts nicely to developing routes in his zone, and he flashes a solid feel as a blitzer. Uh, I think on the negative side, he's not a guy you want matched up with slot receivers on a regular basis. Uh, he, he becomes less effective as he has to wander outside the hash marks. Uh, Giles Harris really struggles protecting himself from cut blocks at the second level. He will occasionally over-pursue RPO mesh point. Uh, creating cutback lanes for runners. Uh Giles Harris is a his playmaking range is limited by hip tightness and small tackling radius he, and he has a hard time redirecting if he gets fooled or takes a false step. Um Giles Harris is a guy that might make some sense for the Chargers in terms of depth. I have a 79 grade on him, so kind of a an early third round pick, uh maybe late second round pick. Uh I think he is likely to start out as a two-down Mike or middle linebacker Uh, but I think his highest and best use might actually be as a Sam because he handles blockers really well at the line of scrimmage sets the edge really well and he's also proficient enough in coverage not to be a complete liability uh, versus certain matchups he's a guy that I like I wouldn't mind seeing them try to take a shot at him in the third round um, as depth at that Sam position so yeah 79 for Joe Giles-Harris
1: yeah, he was really productive at Duke, uh, but had his season cut short in 2018 because of the MCL sprain. He's got very good instincts. He can sniff it out quickly and make a play. Giles Harris is very physical. He's looking to clear a path for the guys around him. This is also one of the few linebackers I watched that does not have trouble tackling. He is a patient and sticky as a tackler. He struggles in man, but when asked to drop back in zone, he's much better manning an area versus running with a back or tight end. He lacks speed. Unfortunately for him, his mental processing is so high, it covers up for the lack of foot speed. Joe Giles-Harris could be a Sam, could be a Mike at the next level. He can win near the line of scrimmage, uses instincts to help out in the run game. He can pitch in and zone coverage. I've got a third-round grade on him. A little bit lower, i got a 72. So that's about the range the Chargers are drafting. So I uh, wouldn't mind seeing him there, uh, depending on where the holes are after free agency. So let's, let's go ahead and just jump into our... Sleeper, and uh, who who is yours?
0: This was hard because there were a lot of really, really bad linebackers. <laughs> um, but I decided to go with Jermaine Pratt as my sleeper. Uh, I have a 72 grade on Pratt, and this is not somebody who I think is a three-down linebacker right out of the gate. But Pratt, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he went to North Carolina State initially as a safety, played two years as a safety, hurt a shoulder in 2017, Gained some weight, came back as a linebacker. Had one year as a starting linebacker and led the ACC in tackles per game. So highly productive guy. He's tough, physical. Um, He's at his best when he can come downhill versus the run. He flashes the ability to play through linemen at times. Motor runs really hot in pursuit. I think he flashes some coverage ability, probably better suited to being in zone than man schemes. Uh, But as a former safety I think there's some coverage chops there that could be taken advantage of with some development. Um, the knock on him really is he's not a real fast guy and he exhibits some hip, hip tightness. Uh, Pratt, his instincts are still, still developing based on only having one year as a starter. There are times when he'll stick to blockers more than you prefer. Uh, he lacks speed and lateral quickness to be the sideline to sideline option. Uh, can look confused in coverage at times. Uh, and he's not someone you want matched up with running backs and slot receivers at the next level. Uh, So I think he's kind of your diamond in the rough guy. Uh, I think there's something there. There's some skill sets there to take advantage of, but it's going to take some development, and he's probably going to have to cut his teeth uh, on special teams. But uh, I have a 72 on Pratt, so a late third-round grade, and I think he's probably going to wind up getting picked more in the fourth or fifth-round range. As kind of a developmental prospect, but he's a guy that I like, and a guy that I think can find a role, particularly on the Chargers, uh, if they are interested in finding, um, you know, some depth, somebody who can maybe play a little Will, maybe play a little Mike, and uh, and fill some, you know, just kind of fill out some snaps for them.
1: And look at that, a good callback to the beginning of the show from Otto Silva, who said that the Charger, our donor, who said the Chargers should be drafting Adderley and Pratt. So call back to the beginning. Shout out to Otto. So yours Jermaine Pratt. My sleeper is Blake Cashman, the linebacker from Minnesota. Uh, Cashman has a knack for being around the football, and it's all derived from his high football acumen. He's got... High play speed and is a finisher. He's a technical wrap-up tackler. Cashman's instincts and coverage are very good. Minnesota moved him around a lot because he moves like a bigger DB who can close quickly. He has no problem getting off blocks and is a good blitzer from his spot. He tested well at the Combine. Has an elite RAS score with a great speed, explosiveness, and agility, according to Kent Lee Platt, who's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. If you don't follow he's at MathBomb. He does a lot of... uh Great grading system there uh, with his RAS scores. Cashman is an undersized, and the big knock is he's got a small wingspan and small hands. None of that seemed to limit his him in games. Blake Cashman is a fluid athlete who is excellent in coverage and wins on instincts in the run game. He projects as a will in the NFL and one that could develop into a starter. I've got a 76 on him, which is a mid-high third-round grade. A uh, guy uh, is probably going to be drafted a little bit later than that, but but a guy I like.
0: Yeah, I like I like Cashman, too. I just wanted to be different.
1: Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> All right, well, let's go top five. Let's go five to one. Who you got?
0: So my top five, five to one, I have Jermaine Pratt, 72, Joe Giles-Harris, At number four with a 79, Mac Wilson uh, at number three with an 82, Devin White, 91, is my number two, and Devin Bush is my number one. I'm sorry, Devin White's a 91, Devin Bush is a 92, he's my number one linebacker.
1: All right, Joe Giles Harris is number five for me with a 72. Blake Cashman snuck into my top five with a 76 at four. Mac Wilson is three with an 84. Devin Bush is number two for me at 91, and Devin White is number one for me with a 93. Uh, guys that are seem to be interchangeable and two talented guys at the top of your draft board. And if you were talking a couple months ago about who the draft, who the Chargers should draft, Devin Bush was a popular name. Uh, no way he's falling to 28 now. And uh, we kind of talked about it. But after Devin Bush and Devin White, once the Devons are off the board, Chargers got to stay away from linebacker, and they most likely will in the first round now.
0: Yeah, uh, I've seen some people projecting them to take Mack Wilson in the first round, and Ugh. I really hope that doesn't happen. No way, man. Uh, I'm honestly not even sure I'd want him in the second round, but uh, definitely not in the first.
1: No, no, not at all. And you know that we talked about with free agency, they added Thomas Davis, they got Adrian Phillips, Kaiser White, Tavis Brown, re-signed Denzel Perryman. So you know, I, I guess because it, it's not, it's definitely not an immediate need. Uh, in 2019 but you could see jatavis brown who's an impending free agent in 2020 perryman could be cut in 2020 thomas davis could be cut in 2020 uh there is a need adrian phillips
0: is a free agent
1: adrian phillips is a free agent there's a lot of holes there um so you know best case scenario thomas davis is revitalized with by that pass rush up front uh you know some of these younger players play good Perryman finally plays a full season. Chavis Brown returns to his rookie form. But, you know, it, it, there's a chance that linebacker could be buttoned up for two years if everything goes right, but uh, the immediate need isn't there, and the depth at linebacker here uh, just isn't good in the draft. And, again, once you get past the Devons, there isn't much to write home about. You know, by the time the Chargers draft in the second round, it's almost like a third-round pick. And is there anybody worth taking there at the end of two? You know, I like Blake Cashman, but I don't know if I'm willing to take him late third, maybe fourth, maybe. But you were talking about kicking it maybe day three. I think you're about right there. Somebody to fill later is depth that you might be able to produce later on and get something from. But uh, I think for the first two days, the Chargers have kind of bought themselves some time, at least in this draft, to not look at linebacker in the first three rounds.
0: Yeah, I'd be surprised if we see a linebacker probably in the first four rounds. I think you're probably looking at some combination of safety offensive tackle and defensive tackle. I sure hope so. Rounds. I wouldn't be surprised if they bookend tackle both tackle spots to be honest with you.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I think I think much like 18's draft where they they got uh two linebackers, I don't see why they to get they don't get two tackles in this draft class. They have to. Yeah, with the way they set themselves up with free agency, they probably have to. So all right, guys, that does it for us. Extra long podcast, almost an hour here. I am at Gareth on Twitter, Jamie.
0: At lightning underscore round.
1: Hey, we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks, everybody.